Hello and welcome to episode number 14 of Prosperity by the Pipe. I'm your host, Bryce Carter. I'm a certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant, certified investment management analyst, and self-proclaimed millennial money expert. This is the podcast where we talk about money, investing, business, and life success, all while having a cold beer. So this episode, I'm going to be answering some listener questions uh, on Facebook. I posed uh, posed some questions to you guys on what you want to hear about, and I got some, I got some good questions. So I thought I'd run through some of these user questions and ideas and just kind of chat about them. So I, I did want to remind everyone, you can always send questions or topic ideas or suggestions, inquiries to contact at FSG, that's Frank Sam George, Michigan.com. You can message Prosperity by the Pint on Facebook, uh, or you can always learn more about me and my business of financial planning, which is Financial Strategies Group, at fsgmichigan.com. So be, feel free to shoot us an email sometime, topics, suggestions, or if you just want to know more. So I really do want to talk really quickly, too, about how I pick the beers for the podcast. So this week is New Belgium uh, Voodoo Ranger IPA. I have to say, New Belgium, I'm very upset with you. One of my favorite beers of all time is New Belgium Ranger, just a straight Ranger. And it is my understanding, uh-oh, that's a rookie pour there. I might get some overflow. We're going to let that head settle down a little bit. New Belgian Ranger was one of my favorite beers of all time. I mean, I could have poured that on my cereal in the morning. I like that beer that much. And they don't make it anymore. You guys don't. I don't know why you don't. I, I heard a rumor about something you can't get the same hops. So now they have Voodoo Ranger, which I've had this beer before. It's good. It's just, it, it, you know, this beer is a, this beer is, if it was in a marathon race, this beer would be like a hundredth out of 200. And the uh, New Belgian Ranger original would be like in third place, you know, just killing it. So I'm upset with New Belgian Ranger. So how I pick the beers, it's a very complicated process, a very long vetting process. I'm mostly, I just walk through the local uh, store here. That's got a couple hundred craft beers and I pick out something that either I've had and I really like, or something I haven't had that looks kind of interesting. That's, that's the process. So the reason I wanted to bring that up is, uh, my cousin, I asked him for some feedback on the podcast and he said he was listening with a friend of his, uh, when they were driving in the truck at work. And, uh, they said that uh, he was, the friend was convinced that the breweries are bribing me to use their beers, to, to drink their beers and, and promote them. And that is not the case. It's not because I'm too petty. I mean, if a brewery wants to bribe me to drink their beer on the show, I'll do it. Just nobody's done it yet. So just keep that in mind if you have a brewery. All right, so let's get to this. I'm going to have this beer first sip here. It's good. Like I said, it's good, but it doesn't hold a candle to uh, the original New Belgian Ranger. So the first question I got is from Jason, and it is on new, uh, buy new, buy leased, uh, or lease, or buy a used vehicle. So this is a good question. Um I, I'm going to start with the leasing. I am not a fan of leasing vehicles at all. Uh, I think it's a, it's, it's, it's like permanently renting your vehicle. Uh, it, it just, you don't build up, cars are not a great investment anyways, but you're not building any equity there. You're never going to be at a standpoint where you're going to be leasing a vehicle and then you get to sell it for, for, for a sum of money. It's just a constant payment. It's a permanent payment. And if you want to be debt-free, uh, you can't be debt-free if you're leasing a vehicle. It might not show up as a liability on your balance sheet, but it shows up a liability on your expense flow, your expenses, right? So I am not a huge fan of leasing at all. When it comes to buying new, very, very rarely does it make sense to buy new, but it can. And the reason being 
there's a couple things there is one is if, if you're working for an auto company and you can get some discounts by, by, uh, buying new, a lot of times the cost benefit analysis there will work out pretty well for you. Um, so that, that's an exception to the rule. Another exception to the rule is if you are a business owner, there's certain tax deductions and depreciation schedules you can take advantage of if you are buying the vehicle for, uh, business purposes. And some of those deductions are only available if you buy new. So last year for the first time ever, I bought a brand new vehicle, uh, for the part of the reason why was the tax deduction I got for it. So I, I'm not a huge fan of buying new just because of the payment and the cost, um, but there are exceptions to that rule. But let me get to what I would prefer you do, which is buy used. And the reason uh, I, I think it's more complicated than just saying buy used. I'm not a huge fan of buying super uh, old vehicles, clunkers, uh, because you're going to end up paying more in repairs on those particular vehicles than you are saving money. I mean, it, it doesn't take much at all to have a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollar repair on a car that you only spend a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars on, right? So I'm a bigger fan of, of, of spending a little bit of money on a used vehicle um, that, that's going to be a reliable vehicle that you're not pouring thousands of dollars into that is unallocated um, budget expenses, right? But I will say this is that, and I see this happen all the time, especially when people are tighter on money is they, they kick the can down the road on routine maintenance and they end up sell, they end up costing themselves money. So by not getting your brakes done, you end up having to get your rotors done and you know, stupid stuff like that is just take care of your damn cars and you save yourself some money. Um, but I'm saying that here in Michigan, where if you don't take care of your car, it's likely to, the wheels are likely to fall off. I mean, it's <laughs> our roads are in rough shape here. So cheers. Um, also don't drink and drive. Okay, so Chase asks what my thoughts are on paying with cash or paying with plastic and why. So this is a great question. There is a lot of budgeting people, a lot of financial entertainers that stress that you should only be, you should try and pay for as much as possible with cash because you have an emotional attachment to cash. So if you have an emotional attachment to it, it's going to be harder for you to hand it over because you're actually giving something up as opposed to that card. You can just swipe it until the shit catches on fire and you're not going to, you're not going to lose any sleep. I think it's a logical fallacy. I think in the era of chip readers, it's harder to spend money when you have to uh, put the card in and wait for the damn thing to process than it is to hand over two, three bucks at a time uh, in cash. I don't think that we actually have a, an emotional attachment to cash. Um, the other thing is when you spend, when you spend with cash, you can't track where your money's going. I like to know exactly where every dollar is being spent, whether I'm wasting it or I'm not. And, and so if I'm using plastic, I, you know, I can log on to my bank account. I can log into my credit card statement and I can see exactly where my dollars are going. So a lot of people do stress that you have an emotional attachment to cash. It'll help you save money. If you pull out a certain amount of cash and you only, uh, you only spend money on cash. Um, Cash works okay from a budgeting standpoint where like this is your free money each, you know, you and your spouse each get $200 at the beginning of the month or whatever the number is. And that's what you get to use for your whatever money, your non bills, your, your, your playing around money or going to the movies, whatever that may be. But I am, I don't believe for a second that a person that's not going to, uh, is going to make a conscious decision on, I'm not going to buy that because I have to exchange the cash that's in my pocket. And they then would have bought that had they were uh, were using plastic. So I just don't buy that at all. 
So I'm a big fan of using plastic. I use plastic because I want to know where every dollar goes. Uh, some of that is I can earn some credit card points, but that, that's a lesser thing. I just want to know where my money's going. If I can track where my money's going, I can know where I can save some money. So I'm a big fan of using plastic, which is contrary to many people's opinion. Uh, Sean asks, buying a home versus renting, when is it right to buy? Okay, sip, beer sip, because this is a, this is a big topic. This is one I could actually probably spend an entire episode on. So I'm a fan of buying, but the buying is a financial decision uh, for me. So uh, my roots are planted in my area. I'm not going anywhere. My job's not moving. My wife and I aren't moving. Uh, We're like our school district, all those kind of things for the kids. We're not going to be moving anywhere. So if you're not moving anywhere, that's where... If you don't need the flexibility to be a geographically independent, that's where buying makes a whole lot of sense. So the other thing with buying is it's not just a financial decision. The financial decision is easy. So uh, in my area, for example, renting is often often costs more than buying. Rents are super expensive depending on where you're at. Exactly, but renting is often more expensive than buying. So buying makes sense. This, you have to, you got to live somewhere, right? So if you're, if you're going to live somewhere and you're going to have to pay for something to live, buying makes more sense because if you, even if your rent is the exact same as your cost of the mortgage, at least the cost of the mortgage, every payment is like a savings. So if your mortgage payment is a thousand dollars a month and $400 going towards principal, it's kind of like you're saving $400 a month because that's how much equity you're building every single month, right? So the, the math behind buying depending on where you are, usually makes sense over renting. But it's more than just a financial decision because you have to be ready for the responsibilities of it. Some people just, uh, you know what, they don't want to spend their time on the weekends mowing the lawn or, you know, doing home repairs or uh, whatever it may be. There's a lot of responsibilities when it comes to a home. Um, You can figure out the financials pretty easy, right? But the other stuff that you don't know about when you're going into buying a home for the first time is where I think you learn a lot. So a lot of times my suggestion to people is you need to rent a house before you buy a house or rent a condo before you buy a condo. If you've only ever lived in apartments or your parents, if you're now thinking about buying, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a wake up call when you get your own house and realize all the maintenance and upkeep and everything. So renting a house before you buy a house is not a bad idea because it gives you an idea of what the responsibilities are above and beyond just the financials. You also have to be able to be uh, location, you know, uh, dependent, right? So I, I have the house and, I'm, and I am I am rooted to this area. If your job, you know, requires you to move around a lot, it's a pretty it's no brainer. Just just rent, right? So there's a lot of things to think about there. I think I'll probably do a full episode on this topic, bringing a guest, either a realtor or a mortgage person, at some point. But um, to me, if you're financially, it's pretty easy to make uh, uh, to to. to to figure out. It's just, there's a lot of things going on there besides financial to decide whether it's time to buy. Um, Nicole says, uh, this may be well known, but better understanding of investments and how money grows over time. So this one I did some preparation for, uh, because I thought it would be kind of cool to go through a scenario of mine, um, of some money that I had grow. And how this came about. So on March 24th of 2014, I bought some Disney stock. Beer break. So I bought Disney stock prior to that, but 
I bought and I don't know what the exact date on that was sometime in 2012. But I had uh, I had bought some stock in Disney in March of 2014. I paid $83.24 a share. And today, as of the filming of this podcast, the last time I looked earlier today was Disney was trading at $116.88. And over the past four or five years, I've owned this stock. I uh, For each share, I've gotten $7.35 in dividends. So let me just you know, break this down for you. I paid $83 a share. My shares are now worth $116, $117. And I've earned a little under $7.50 in dividends. Um, my rate of return is right about 49%. Not bad, about 8.33% a year. So how this breaks down, there's there's two numbers. I, I mean, two two definitive things here. There's There's the growth. So I bought it for 83 and is now worth 116. So because I bought shares of Disney, I became a part owner of Disney. Now, Disney is a huge company. So I may be a one billionth of owner, but I'm a, I'm a part owner. So over time, as Disney grows their profit margins and their earnings, the perception is that a ownership share is now more valuable because the company is bigger and more profitable, right? So for example... In 2014, the revenue for Disney was about $50 billion. Today, last year, generally in 12 months, uh, it was about $60 billion. So they grew their prof- they grew their revenue from $50 billion to $60 billion in the span of the last four or five years. They grew their net income from $7.8 billion to $11 billion. So what has happened, essentially, is Disney has grown their profits. They've grown their revenue. They've grown their earnings. Um, they're growing these things, and therefore, my, my, my ownership has grown in value from $83 per share to $116 per share. Now, that's the growth, the growth of the ownership. But I'm also getting some income from them. Now, dividends not, dividends are, are, are the company sharing part of their profits with you. Um, so the dividends, you know, in 2015 were a dollar eighty a share, dollar forty two a share in 16, so on and so forth. So I get a little bit of dividends from Disney. They're not known as a huge dividend payer, but so you have growth and you have interest. So combine those two together and you get your total return. Now I happen to take the dividends and I put them in cash and then I bought other stuff. But if I had just bought more shares of Disney, which I could have done, then I would have had, you know, just continually buying for more fractional shares of Disney. In this scenario, I did not do that. I took that those dividends and bought other things. So your dividends plus your growth is your total return. So that's that. That's the scenario, and the reason why the value of the company has grown is uh, the perception is they're growing their revenue, they're growing their earnings, and therefore the ownership share is worth more. Now, combine this, or, or I guess look at this at a at a broader scale: is if you were to buy the S and P five hundred index fund, um, you're buying a fund that's investing in. F- you know, 500 companies that are like Disney, you know, so Disney's one of the 500 in the S and P 500. And if all of those companies, some of them are going to be growing at a fast rate, some of them are going to be growing at a medium rate with regard to that. what you're going to end up seeing is a scenario where you're earning more and more, um, over time, ideally, right? So these companies are growing their profits and earnings. And as they grow their profits and earnings, your ownership becomes worth more. So that's kind of, I don't know if that answers that question exactly, but it gives you an idea of, of kind of how a, a stock purchase could, could, could play out over time. 
So the last question I got here was from Jason on cryptocurrency. So the second part of that is currency, right? Cryptocurrency. Now you go to the, you go to the gas station today and you buy a can of Coke and it costs you $2, two US dollars. Tomorrow it's probably going to cost two US dollars. And the next day it's probably going to cost two US dollars. Now a year from now, it might be $2 and five cents and it might, you know, 20 years from now it might be 10 bucks. But the point of it is, is that the, the price you pay is based on the currency, which is the dollar. Now, cryptocurrency is meant to be an alternative currency, right? Here's the problem is this stuff moves so dramatically in price is one day you might go in and if we were to equate that to uh, uh, Bitcoin uh, or, uh, you know, any of the other cryptocurrencies. But if I were to go buy a can of Coke today and I were to pay in Bitcoin, if I could find a place that would let me, which there are places that allow you to do that, particularly in metropolitan areas. If I were, if I were to go and pay with, with Bitcoin and today Bitcoin is worth $5,300 per, you know, uh, one Bitcoin's worth $5,300. If tomorrow one Bitcoin is worth $4,200, now all of a sudden I have to use a, a greater amount of Bitcoin to buy the same can of Coke. So my point of this is, is cryptocurrency is too volatile right now to be a legitimate currency because you want to know what your purchasing power is going to be, right? If I have a dollar, I know what I can spend with a dollar. If I have one Bitcoin, that could be worth $3,000 worth of uh, purchasing power or, you know, I think it was 2017, Bitcoin got up to almost $20,000 worth of purchasing power. So it is it is too volatile to be a legitimate currency right now. Longer term, I don't think Bitcoin or some of the other cryptos, I don't know what's going to be the winner out of them. I don't think they're going anywhere. Uh, I think they're going to be around for a long time. I don't, it's like I said, it's going to be hard to pick the winner, but I, I wouldn't look at them as a currency. I'd look at them as a very um, speculative investment at this point. I don't own any cryptocurrencies. I have watched them very closely. And if there's some that if they get to a certain price, I would, I would buy some. I would urge caution in that department. Like I said, it's a speculative investment. It's not, um, I'm not looking at it like, uh, you know, uh, it's going to be a huge portion of my investment portfolio or anything like that. But I don't like cryptos as a currency yet. I think eventually they may get there. Right now, I look at them as a very speculative investment. So that's going to wrap up this week's episode. I hope uh, I hope you learned something. Again, I want you guys to reach out with questions and, and topic suggestions and uh, feedback. Anything you want to hear about, let me know. Uh, be sure to, to uh, subscribe, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Buzzsprout, you name it, we're there. Cheers.